good to be here at Seniors, loving it. And I'm loving this story. I really love this story. Um, I hear some of you were looking out for the 10 minus, but now we're doing this one because I want to. Um, it's, it's really good. I'm really keen to unpack it with you guys. And it's a true story that takes place in history. So I love about the Bible, love about the Christian faith is that it's true. It happened. Jesus is real. This stuff really happened. So it makes it even more mind-blowing. So let me paint a picture for you. You're sitting, chatting to someone. You're telling them the gospel. And so you're saying, um, sin this, grace that, Jesus, like this. And they stop you and they go, hang on, hang on, let me get you straight. So you're saying, I can live however I want, no matter what I've done. And then I ask Jesus for forgiveness and then I go to heaven. And you can, you can kind of get the, what's going on underneath that, yeah? So you're just like, mm, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. But at the same time, you want to go, nah, and you want to explain a whole bunch more, yeah? Happens to me all the time at Flipside. So I go to Henry Kendall Flipside. Anyone here from Henry Kendall? <laughs> Party. Not many people are. Um, and so I'm sitting down with this kid, and I'm thinking, I've got lunchtime. I don't know if I'm going to see you again. I want to tell you the gospel. Um, and so you start out because not many people know that they, they don't really think that they need Jesus. So you start there and you're like, all right, sin. Sin is um, this, oh, it gets in the way of you and God. It's rebellion. It's a problem. It's a big problem. Da, da, da. And you come right back around and you get back to Jesus and you're like, but Jesus solves the problem. He takes your sin. It's so good. And all you have to do is trust in him. And then they go, oh, wow. I thought I was in big trouble, but now I'm good again. You just told me what I wanted to hear. All right, see you later. And you're just like, oh, no. It's like there's it's such depth and layers to the gospel that you just, it takes ages to get, get your head around it all. Sometimes you just need to hear a bit at a time. Sometimes you need to hear it all. But that's one of the struggles that I go through. And so that's one of the questions that I want you guys to think. Like, what would I say? What would you say to that? If someone said, oh, can't I just do this? And then just forgive me and it'll be sweet. So that's what we're going to look at. And we're going to see that this story of Zacchaeus answers that. And it isn't that, that isn't the case at all. We're going to see that when someone's really saved, it results in real response, real repentance. And we just had prayed for us that we'd have repentant hearts. And I think that's going to be a big prayer at the end of this as well. So we're going to look at real repentance. Cool. The part of the Bible we're looking at tonight might be heaps familiar to you, but if it isn't, or if it is, um, doesn't matter, there's still some really good stuff to learn from it as we look at Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and Jesus, the Son of Man, and the way they interact. I want to try something a little bit different this week. I'm out of my comfort zone, but we're just going to um, try and just let the story wash over us a few times, see if we can really understand what's going on, and we'll apply it as we go. And I'll apply it with you guys. It'll be fun. We're going to look at um, three perspectives of what I see as three characters. Okay, First perspective and character is the crowd. The second one, Zacchaeus. And the third one, Jesus. And we'll see how we go. All right. So I'm just going to, before we do that, I'm just going to read the story again. So eyes down if you've got Bibles. If you don't, really just try and concentrate I heard that you can only do one of, one, of, one of them at a time anyway, but pick one and do it. Here we go, starting from verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. 
a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was passing that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter. Um, mutter's heaps funny, by the way. Um, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Solid story. So the crowd. Let's start with the crowd, the perspective of the crowd. Now, not much is actually said of this character. There's only one verse. It's verse 7. But I think it's super important for us to understand this, this character's perspective. It sheds a whole bunch of light on the rest. So the first thing I'm wondering as I read this is, why is there a crowd? Who, why are they following Jesus? And you might notice that in Jesus' ministry, he's often got big crowds following him, like, they, like intoxicating on him. Um, and I reckon there's a couple of reasons why there might be a crowd following. And one of them is that he's just a pretty impressive dude. Like he's been teaching wisely. He's been telling cool stories and healing people left, right and center. You might summarize it on Instagram as very wisdom, much healing, much yes, wow, you know. Like, that's who Jesus is. He's an impressive dude to follow. He's, he's just worth following for the entertainment itself. Like, well, see that healing? That's pretty cool. But I think by this point in Luke, as we get to the latter stages of the gospel, um, there's much more going on. So verse 1 says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So it might seem like an incidental detail, but as John was saying before, we're in the, tra- in the travel of Jesus setting his face towards Jerusalem. So he's on the way to Jerusalem, and Jericho is pretty close. So he's passing through, and he's on the way. So why might that be significant for this group of people? I reckon probably most of the crowd were following Jesus because there were rumors of this guy that he's the Messiah. And if you don't know what I mean by the Messiah, just the promised king. They're waiting for someone who's going to come set up a kingdom that's going to last forever. At the moment, the Romans are in charge. and They're kind of oppressing them, so they're just waiting for this king. And they're like, here's a king. There's a capital city. This is getting close. I'm following. This is awesome. It's going to be awesome. Translate that into that. It's like capital city. Perfect, perfect chance. He's heading towards the capital. It's all going to happen. I'm sticking around. I'm pretty convinced that this is what the crowd's thinking because if you think about what we've come from just recently... Um, they've been asking Jesus, like, who's going to be in the kingdom? If you remember the dinner party they had, they're like, who's going to be in the kingdom? Um, when is the kingdom coming? How will the kingdom come? What will it look like? Um, what must I do to be in the kingdom? And see it in there, verse 11. We didn't read it, but it's just after our chunk. While they listened to this, he went on telling a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. 
So you've got these guys following him that think this is going to happen. This is what's happening. He's going to take out the Romans. They're absolutely itching for this. They've been asking, 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 asking. Jesus has been telling, 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 telling. So now that we're in the shoes of the crowd from their perspective, let's see what they see. Verse 5. They're stoked. They're just following Jesus. Verse 5. Here we go. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. What? That doesn't make sense from their perspective. It would be a total mind blown. Like, read verse 7. Here's how they react. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now Zacchaeus, he's a tax collector. And not only that, he's a chief tax collector. He's on top of the pyramid. He's a pretty bad dude and collects bunch of their money and what do they do tax collectors mostly why they hate it it's that they sided with the Romans the Romans are in charge and they tax the people and these guys go around and collect taxes and more they're on the Romans side they betray their people so the response from the crowd is totally justified it's what you and I would at least do I feel like they're doing well to keep it to a mutter like yes he's this guy he's going to take out the Romans oh he just He's hanging out with the Roman. Like, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he said, Oh, hand me my gun. Like, that's what you'd expect him to say. Not, Oh, come over, I must stay at your house. You know, it's like witnessing an ultimate betrayal. Now, the best one I could think of uh, was, in a short time, was um, like Harry Potter witnessing Snape, I'm going to spoil it, witnessing Snape kill Dumbledore. Oh, I know, right? Devo. <laughs> It's like someone who you thought was on your side, like you've had your suspicions, but no, nah, he's good, Dumbledore believes in him. And then you just see this happen, and you're like, what? I thought he was going to at least turn around and take out a few guys, then I'd come out from behind wherever I am, and then it'd be a showdown. But nah, he just kills him, and you're just like, what? That is not what I expected. This is the worst. That is the opposite. This isn't what Jesus should be doing, you know? But, just like Harry Potter ultimately had Snape wrong, because he's a good guy, spoiler it again, the crowd had Jesus wrong as well. Or at least Jesus' timing to be wrong. He wasn't heading to Jerusalem to set up his kingdom as gonna, like, in the way that they thought it would right then and there. He was actually going, and John has already said tonight, he's going there to die. His mission, rather, in verse 10... The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, if we stop there for a second, I wonder and ask yourself if you have Jesus wrong, like the crowd did. Are you following Jesus like this crowd did? Like, he's pretty interesting, I'm following, or there's heaps of people here, something cool is going on, so I'm following this Jesus guy. Attracted to the dude and the people but with no real knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's on about. And we've got his mission right there. That's what he's on about. I wonder if you think, Jesus is my buddy. We're all good. I go to youth and, and it'll be sweet. We'll be chilling one day. And that's your view of Jesus. Do you really know the gravity of who Jesus is and who it is you're following? I think it's an awesome question to ask us. 
All right, that's the crowd. Put that away. We're going to move on to Zacchaeus now. And I reckon the perspective of the crowd helps us understand the perspective of Zacchaeus. Um, so let me tell you a few things about Zacchaeus in, from verse 2. Um, that's his name. He's a chief tax collector and he's very wealthy. So Jericho, back in those days, is actually, I looked it up, it's like a through city, trading city. I feel like they all are in those days that the letters are written. Um, but this one is like kind of a regional city for taxes. So like all the taxes get collected and then they come to Jericho and then they go from Jericho out. So if you're a tax collector, chief tax collector in Jericho, you're taking a cut of everything. Like you are wealthy. Like this guy's very rich, I reckon. But it's also worth noting that wealth is probably all this guy has. So because they side with the Romans, the parents kind of disown them. Um, they don't really have any friends, except fake friends, rich friends, I guess. Um, and so money is really the only thing they have. So keep that in mind. Um, everyone hates him. He probably hates himself in the end of the day. He's a bad dude. Like, this kind of job attracts bad people. You get into that position by skimming and doing it well. Um, he's probably the, potentially the worst guy in Jericho that everyone's just like, oh my gosh, chief tax collector. Everyone knows it, and he knows it. And that's what I want to push into. He knows he's bad. And not in a, like, I'm bad, like Michael Jackson way. It's like, um, he's, he's just bad, and he's like, this sucks. I'll tell you why I think I get that. I don't know if that's your impression as you read this. But ultimately we do side with him because Jesus does. But here we go. So here's his thing. I reckon you can tell from the actions of how he approaches Jesus. Uh, he stands at a distance. Yeah, It says uh, he wanted to see Jesus, but he was short. He couldn't see over the crowd. So he's behind the crowd. There's a bit of a distance there between him and Jesus already. Um, he's probably un, just as unable to get through the crowd as he is to see over it. I was thinking about that. Like the crowd's there and the crowd hates him. He can't just go, hey guys, I'm small, you know me, <laughs> let me through. I'm not going to block anyone's view. No, he can't get through the crowd and he can't see over the crowd. He just wants to get a glimpse of Jesus. That's another thing that stood out to me. He wanted to see who Jesus was, verse 3. Just wanted to get to know him, just see what kind of man he was. He didn't demand to have his time as like probably the richest dude in the town. He didn't buy his way through the crowd or anything. But he climbs a tree, he runs off, and he probably has to take many more steps than anyone else to run off. So he runs off, climbs a tree, and I'm guessing that's a pretty undignified thing to do in a dress. And he's probably wearing like those sweet purple clothes, and so he's wearing this robe and he's climbing this tree. It's a pretty orky's picture. But that's what he does, and he's a wealthy man doing it. And all of this gives me the impression that this guy doesn't think he's the greatest. You know, like, um, he, doesn't, he doesn't try to use his position, his power, his money, to buy him some time with Jesus. But he stands at a distance, runs ahead, climbs a tree, and waits. This guy, I reckon probably better than anyone he's following, knows his position before Jesus. So imagine then the significance of verse 5. Let's 
really get into his shoes, ready? You are sitting in a tree and Jesus is walking towards you with the crowd. Haters going to hate, they all hate you. And eventually he's right underneath you. And you're just hoping, I guess as he's passing through, I guess he's hoping to just see him, hear some of what he says before he's away, right? But Jesus just stops there, looks up, says, Zacchaeus. And I kind of picture him going, surely I'm the only guy in the tree and I've got a pretty weird name. It's got to be me. So he's like, Zacchaeus. And he's like, whoa. He says, come down immediately. And he's oh, I'm in trouble now. He's going to shoot me or something. And then he says, I must stay at your house today. What? This is awesome. That's amazing, isn't it? Like from the perspective of the guy that everyone hates, Everyone loves to hate, got no friends, got nothing but your money. You're stoked at the guy that everyone's raving about, everyone's following, wants to stay at your house. It's Jesus, the popular guy when you're not. It's like being the social outcast at school. You're like the nerdiest of nerds and you're not doing anything to help yourself in that department. And then the coolest kid, you're just walking past and you're hoping to get one of these ones. Like they give their lunch money to get a thumbs up or whatever. And he just goes, stops and he's like, well, let's hang out. And you're like, whoa, don't deserve this. Verse 6. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. That makes sense from that position, if you've got the position of Zacchaeus' head right. So I reckon it's worth thinking about, have you ever felt so outcast, so downtrodden, that you just don't think you're worthy for God or anything? I think this story is awesome for you to think about. It's those people that Jesus comes to seek and save, the lost people. Or, I reckon there's a flip side of the coin, have you ever felt heavy in your sin, ever felt unworthy? Because I reckon we need to before we can become a Christian. If If you've never felt the weight of your sin and what that means, then... What are you going to be forgiven of? What are you going to be stoked about having? I reckon there's something I've struggled with heaps, not feeling that. And so do I understand my sin properly? Do you understand your sin properly if you feel this way? Maybe we need to keep realising, maybe we need to realise in the first place that our sin is very serious and it's sin against God. Another question that comes to mind is, have I ever, have you ever, Thought of your becoming a Christian as Jesus calling you, you know? Zacchaeus, come down. And were you stoked? Did you receive him gladly like Zacchaeus did? In that humility comes this response that I reckon we should grab and test ourselves with. Back to the story. We're still with Zacchaeus. Let's see what's happened next. Um, I'm not sure if there's a break in between verse 7 and 8. I don't know if you talked about this, but it just sounds weird. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus. Anyway, I reckon there is a break. I reckon likely they've gone back to his place, they've had a meal, had a chat, had some teaching. Um, Jesus probably made things awkward at the dinner table as he always does. And then, and then we actually just see Zacchaeus' response to all this. So verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, 
I will pay back four times the amount. Now that, I reckon that's the thing that rings out, at least one of the things that rings out in this story as you brush over it. You're like, whoa. But I reckon it can do with a refresher. Whoa, it is huge. Remember, we're talking about this guy's chief tax collector. He's probably got nothing except his wealth. That's the only thing he's got. Not family, not friends, just money. And he responds by going, you know, what I've got, I give it away. I'm just giving it all away, doing way more than I'm required, even by the law. I'm just going above and beyond. Boom. This is my response to having been accepted by Jesus. I reckon that's huge. And what's even better, as we think about the, the rich man in the kingdom of God, is that Jesus didn't even ask it. He's, we've got no dialogue of that. He's just gone, boom, look, here's what I'm going to do. Such is his impact um, from being accepted by Jesus. And then Jesus responds, verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. That's a bombshell in the story. That's the bit that everyone's like, what, what, what? Like, that doesn't, oh man, the crowd is furious. But Zacchaeus is loving it. The man everyone hates, the wealthy man, is accepted by Jesus. And he responds in a way in which he values that Jesus accepted him, saved him, and he's told that he's saved and brought into the family of God. That's what... That whole Abraham bit's about. So real salvation from Jesus, Jesus' acceptance, real salvation from, from God of Zacchaeus resulted in him forfeiting what he had, everything that he had, to God. Unprovoked. It's just what happened. And this, I reckon here's where the, this is the big central part of the story. Um, you know, what's been... My response, what's been your response to Jesus? What's been your repentance? What does that look like? Has it looked like anything or has it gone unnoticed? I reckon for years and years I lived as a Christian with unnoticed repentance. And the answer is it's just not repentance at all. Can repentance go unnoticed? I think the answer here is no, real repentance is huge. See, what's actually happened for Zacchaeus here? is not just that he's decided to give away a bit of money, but he's encountered Jesus, understood Jesus' angle, and his whole world has had to change. And that's what he's realised, and that's what he's done. His worldviews turned upside down as he realises that his pursuit of money, wealth, um, is nothing, and his pursuit of God is paramount. He's been putting everything here and nothing there. So his pursuit and love of God results in him giving away his money. It just makes sense. You can see it's evidence of his worldview changing, not him trying to earn something or anything. He's just like, well, uh, this makes sense. I've got to give away everything. That's what I'm going to do. So has your worldview completely changed? And I reckon this is the answer to the introduction question. You know, like, um, what do you say to someone who says this? Well, you say, no, nah, you can't keep, keep living the way you want. That's so far from the truth. Real salvation, real repentance comes from that. And it, it looks completely different to the way that you think about the world. It's completely different. 
You need to shift from having yourself at the center of your life to having God at the center of your life. That's what's happened to Zacchaeus. He valued money, he was at the center. When he had God at the center, money doesn't matter anymore. It's a sign of what's taken place inside him. So think about it. What has been your repentance? Has it gone unnoticed? Perhaps you need to repent. Perhaps you need to keep repenting, bearing fruit in your repentance, keeping it up. Third and final perspective is Jesus. And this is the important perspective that obviously we want to get a handle on. I reckon Jesus' perspective brings a lot of clarity to the entire story and makes sense of all the different things that are going on. So as we've looked at already, Jesus is travelling towards Jerusalem, towards his death, and he's on a mission. And the mission we read in verse 10 was, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus has been dealing, so get yourself into the shoes of Jesus a bit more. He's been dealing with a crowd of dummies that just, everything just falls on deaf ears. Like, they just don't understand what he's saying. It literally just says that the disciples did not understand. And they kept going. Um, so he's, he's been, you might remember as we've been going through, that he just keeps teaching the opposite of how the crowd thinks, you know. Keeps teaching this reversal. And it keeps just falling on deaf ears, falling on deaf ears. So the Pharisee and the tax collector, when they go to pray, everyone's thinking this Pharisee's got it going on. And Jesus is like, no, he doesn't. The tax collector does and he's saved. And then the kids, you know, they come up and start hanging out with Jesus. And the, even the disciples are like, well, get away from Jesus. You're wasting our time. We're on a mission. And Jesus goes, you don't get it. This is my mission. Reverse again. Let the children come for the kingdom's theirs. Time and time again. Time and time again. Water off a duck's back. Just like that. And the crowd sees the chaos. And we've already looked at it. They go, oh, sinner. Oh, what are you doing? And Jesus looks at him and goes, oh, sinner, yes, that's what I want. He's like, sees him in a completely different light. He's like, that's my mission. I've come to seek and save you. Um, You are who I am here for. You're my lost son. It's a completely different perspective. That's why he says in verse 5, I reckon it's why he says, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. There's such urgency to it, like, He's passing through, he's passing through, but he sees his mission and he's like, I've got to give time to this mission. Jesus doesn't care about the impression, doesn't care about his association with the guy who's on the Roman side. He's firmly fixed on saving Zacchaeus, saving a man in need, saving a lost guy. So I wonder, again, question myself, question you, have you adopted Jesus' worldview here? His lens, if you will. You know, do you see the world through the perspective of Jesus or through the perspective of the crowd? The perspective of Jesus is what we want to gain. Um, and Jesus' mission is what we want to take on. There's another application for me, I reckon. Um, you know, Jesus gives us his mission when he leaves. Matthew 28, Great Commission. Um, he says, you know, go make disciples, you know, do what I've been doing. Be on about seeking, saving the lost. And so I wonder, have you guys been doing that? Have I been doing that? And it got me thinking, and I'll just step aside for a sec, because I think 
This one's a good one to think about. It's, it's contact with sinners is what I've been thinking. Contact with people. Now, how do people come to hear about Jesus? Well, they hear about it. How do they hear? They hear from me. They hear from you. That's how people come to know Jesus and know salvation. And so I reckon you get kind of two people as a Christian. You've either got the real conservative Christian who's like, oh, can't have any non-Christian friends because I'm so different to them. I'm just going to hang out in my bubble and just chill out and wait for Jesus to get back. I don't think that's right. I think you know why. It's not on about Jesus' mission. Then you've got this other group that's like, and I grew up with so many of these guys at school and it's gone so bad, but um, they're like, oh, you know what? I'm going to totally show all my friends how cool Jesus is. I'm one of those, I'll show them what Christians can do and I'll show them Christians aren't different at all. We can do all the same things. It's like, what? Christians are different. It's how it is. You've got to adopt Jesus' mission, being different, but being on about accepting those people, not giving an excuse for you to, oh, I'm doing that because I'm trying to evangelize or whatever. So you want to land somewhere in the middle. You want, you want to have mates. You want to have this lens that Jesus has of, you're lost, you need saving. You're lost, you need saving. You're lost, you need saving. And then you've got to be real careful about it, as Jesus is. He's constantly hanging out with sinners, constantly hanging out with people who need saving, but never giving in to temptation. That's a great challenge. The problem with the first one, big that I think comes through this story, um, not being able to associate with sinners, you know, is the, the crowd, the crowd perspective. It, it takes away, it destroys our ability to empathise with the people that need saving. So the crowd don't rejoice with Zacchaeus at this. They're hating on him the whole time. They're muttering behind his back. But really, they should just be stoked. They're like, yeah, you know what? He's, he's lost. Jesus saved him. So I want you guys to be careful of that. Careful that you're not thinking that you're too good and you've got this wrong lens on. Have the lens of Jesus. But perhaps the most amazing thing about this story is Jesus' perspective and kind of his interpretation of Zacchaeus' repentance. And that is genuine. That's what he perceives. You know, Zacchaeus stands up and says, um, I've lost a few pages, and says, I'm going to give away half my possessions to the poor and if I cheated anybody, he responds in a certain way. And the certain way, as we've already talked about, is really important to him and it's him, evidence of him putting God at the centre and taking away money. And Jesus says, salvation, truly that's salvation because of that response. And so I think the main big question I want you to go away with is, is your repentance one that Jesus would commend or not? When you became a Christian or even now as you sit here with Jesus, you know, you kind of say, oh man, just, oh, I'm blown mind and this. And then Jesus goes, salvation, surely. So good. Or would he react like, oh, yeah, cool. And one story that I found helpful to keep in mind when I was trying to figure this out for myself is the rich man in the kingdom of God. Repentance isn't just doing good stuff. This rich man, you can read it later, or you might already know it, 18, verse 18 onwards, he's a really good dude. He's like, yeah, I've done those Ten Commandments. He's done way more than I have. And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty good, eh? Jesus is like, all right, cool, but you can't give up your money. And he's like, ah, oh, you got me. 
The repentance, true repentance for him, is not just doing good stuff and doing the law, it's giving up the money, something he couldn't do, but Zacchaeus could. So what is it for you? And have you given it up? And I want to finish, I guess, with verse 27 of chapter 18. So you've seen the impossible. Um, it's very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Then we've just read about Zacchaeus, a rich man entering the kingdom of God, straight after. And verse 27 says, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And so if you're looking at your area of your life, and you're like, I can't do that. I can't give it up. Pray. Speak to people. Give it up. What is impossible for man is possible with God. So how about I pray for us now that we'll be repentant, we'll be a repentant people, that we'd give up everything for Jesus. Heavenly Father, we do definitely want to pray for repentant hearts. Um, Lord, help us to see ourselves uh, from a true perspective. Uh, from Jesus who, who sees through people and sees what needs to change for them to understand the gospel. We pray that you'd remove, help us remove everything that blocks us from, from being truly repentant. I pray that we'd feel the weight of that and give our lives to you. In your son's name, amen.